0: Good morning, everybody. We're in Exodus chapter 23. We're going to finish off chapter 23. i just pray. Father, thank you for today. Help us to be Bereans and to check that what I'm saying is true and it matches your truth. And may your Holy Spirit lead us into truth today. And I pray that we can grow in our relationship with you and we can learn to depend on you more and more and understand that we can do nothing but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us in Jesus' name. All right. Has anyone ever seen those lawnmowers? You've got the roller thing. It's a rotary run. It's not the blades that go round and around. And they've got two clutches, one for the blades, one for the gearbox that makes the mower move all by itself. Well, this guy, he had one of these mowers, the rotary mowers, and he used to mow the lawn and his wife used to watch him do it. and. He was away and the bad weather was coming in, the lawn was long. She thought, oh, I'll have a go at this. And so she gets a little mower out and, and she starts it up and, oh, the blades are running. And so she goes, oh, well, it shouldn't be too hard. And so she starts pushing this thing. Now, if you've seen those rotary mowers, they're pretty big. They're very heavy. And so she's pushing this rotary mower across the lawn. And she goes, I don't know how my husband does it so easily. You know, <laughs> it's terrible. She gets up there, you know, she's doing it and she comes back and by the time she does that, she's exhausted and she can't do any more. And then she's really frustrated. And then she goes to whack the handle with this stupid mower and she engages the clutch for the drive and the mower takes off and so she's chasing the mower <laughs> now she's mowing the lawn real easy. So that's kind of what it's like being a Christian and trying to do it yourself. It's just difficult. But when you finally come to that place where you realize that I can't do it, it's only Christ living in me that does it, then suddenly it's a revolutionary discovery that it's not me who has to do this, it's God in me who does this. And Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live but Christ in me. Then Gideon, the Lord came to him one day and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Here's this guy, he's sitting in this little hole in the ground trying to thresh wheat, you know, get the chaff off the grain. And Gideon wasn't very impressed, I don't think. If the Lord is with us, why is everything going wrong? And he goes and he recites all the troubles. The Midianites are oppressing them and stuff like that. He knows about all the stories about deliverance from Egypt. He knows about all those things. But they're not reality for him. Reality for him, he's being oppressed by the Midianites. They're taking their food, they're taking their animals. Basically, they're very poor and they're being oppressed. So, where is the evidence of God acting on their behalf? And then God turns around and says to him, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the hand of Midian. So, go in the strength you have. Past tense, not in the strength I will give you, the strength you have. So Gideon already had the strength to deliver Israel. And he goes, Huh? Okay. And then he goes, Well, I'm the least in my family. My clan is the least in Manasseh, and Manasseh is the weakest tribe. So why are you choosing me? I'm totally inadequate. And the answer was, I will be with you. And that's all it is. It's all about God. So although Gideon knew God, Gideon had not been depending upon God. He had been depending upon himself. And now he's going to make a great discovery where he's going to start depending on God and God is going to use him to bring victory. So we can be stuck sometimes in sin. We can be stuck in a situation where we're struggling and we're really pushing that lawnmower by ourselves. Suddenly we can can realize that we've already got everything we need to be victorious and we can start to depend on Jesus. We can allow God to live his life through us. So that was a little encouraging thing that I read during the week I wanted to share with you. So let's get into Exodus 23 and verse 19. So this is where we left off last week. And once we finish chapter 23, we will actually start looking at the tabernacle in chapter 24. So Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So first fruits, that's the first tenth that he gives us. And I said basically, does our money rule us or do we rule our money? Someone said money is a good slave but a terrible master. And it's not just our money, it's our time. Are we giving God the best of everything that we have? Because remember that he gave it to us first. The next part of that verse is you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So today, the Jews, observant Jews who are trying to keep the law, they don't eat cheeseburgers. Why? Because it's got cheese and beef, right? And milk comes from a cow. So that's their interpretation of this. But I don't think that's the intent. I don't think that's what God meant it to be. It's because if you go back in other cultures... It was a fertility rite or fertility practice done by the heathen nations or the other nations at the time of the Passover where they partook of the milk of a goat or cow along with the meat of a kid or a calf in order that their gods might bless them with children. So this command here is most likely saying don't do that. Don't do this kind of sacrifice. Verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So, who is this angel? There's a big hint in this verse. It's Jesus. How do we know? Because it says, For he will not pardon your transgressions if you do not obey him. The only person who can forgive sins is God. So this is a Christophany. It's the appearance of Jesus before he came to earth as a babe in Bethlehem. I like this verse because it says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way. That's one thing, to keep you in the way. That's what God does with us, with the Holy Spirit. And to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus said something in John chapter 14 verses 1 to 6. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in the same way, the Israelites weren't going to get into the promised land except by the angel or the power of Jesus. Nothing's changed. Jesus was the one who would keep them and would take them into that land. Verse 22. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Note that last phrase there, and I will cut them off. doesn't say, The angel will go before you and lead the way so when you get there in your own strength, you can overcome this sin or you can overcome this problem. So the heart of God is that we obey the voice of his angel, Jesus. Why? So he might bless us. Not because he's a slave driver, not because he's trying to make us do all these things because he likes to boss us around. It's because he wants to bless us in order that we might have victory over those things that weigh us down those things which hold us in bondage, and those things which destroy our soul. These are some of the spiritual blessings that God has promised us. Now, in contrast to that, disobedience is very costly. Disobedience is nasty. It robs us of many blessings. It robs us of our joy, our peace. And in their place come heartache, fear, and anxiety, and bondage. We become slaves to sin and reap the consequences of sin. So, think about this. Short-term pain, which is saying no to what we want now, results in long-term gain and contentment. But short-term gain, which is saying yes to the passing pleasure of sin, brings long-term pain. And so we need to exercise self-control. Verse 24, You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So God was promising them to go into this new land, land of Canaan, the, the promised land, And they were going to find a lot of stuff that wasn't good. And the stuff that they had there was basically the same stuff that we have in our culture today. Except it's different. We don't go into a temple to fornicate, you know, to have sex with this ritual prostitute. All we need to do now is just click on our phone or click on the internet and we can do the same thing. So we're just a bit more sophisticated in our idolatry today basically. So God is saying, stay away from those things. All that stuff is coming into our houses, on our TVs, on the internet, and so-called smartphones. I don't think they're very smart. Computer games, they satisfy our f- fleshly desires of violence and sexuality. We've got to get rid of these things and break their power over us. And that's the victory we have in Christ. We claim it by faith. So 1 John five four. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Another thing I can add in there is the music, another idol that we have is the secular music, and it's all about sex and relationships and all that kind of stuff, and get rid of that stuff. Verse 25, so you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. That means they'll all have kids. I will fulfill the number of your days. That means I'll live to a good old age. So it's a nice physical promise there. You'll live a long time, you'll be healthy, you have lots of kids and you won't get sick and you won't miscarry. For today, as we talked about last week, I won't go into it again, but God promises us the New Testament version of that, the New Covenant, is that he heals us from the eternal effects of sin. And eventually, he'll heal us from the physical effects when He get a new body. Verse 27, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make your enemies turn their backs to you. So, we have enemies today as well, don't we? So, I'm having a fight with my wife. Is my wife my enemy? No, of course not. Okay, so who is the enemy? Satan's the enemy. Okay, so Satan uses people, but the people aren't the enemy. So we need to see that quite clearly. There's a good movie out there, War Room. Yeah, watch War Room if you haven't seen that. That's good. So we should want that for ourselves and our families. We want the enemy to be turned away, to be turned back. We don't want the enemy in our family in our church or in our country so trust me says the lord and i will drive out your enemies but he's going to do it in a way which is very different he's going to use the hornet and i will send hornets before you which will drive out the hivite the canaanite and the hittite from before you so you've got all these problems and sometimes the way we think that god will deal with those problems is different to the way he actually deals with it i mean who would have thought that god would send an insect to drive out the enemies this kind of weirdo eh? so we might have depression or addiction or sadness whatever it might be but god will deal with it in his own way and it might not be the way we think so let's read ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 to 13 this talks about our enemies Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not your own. Verse 29, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased or grown in number and you inherit the land. So, I've been struggling with my marriage issues for months. We've been praying, we've been reading the Bible, and we're still struggling. God says, I won't drive out your enemies as quickly as you might think, because there's something else happening. If I drove them all out at once in one year, or quickly, the wild beasts would multiply. Therefore, until you've increased, until you're ready to occupy the land, I'm keeping them there to keep the fields tilled and the wild beasts at bay. So we like to see things happen quickly, but that's not the way God works. God says, count it all joy, he says, when you go through trials in order that patience might have its perfect work. James 1, 2-4. So I want to get ahead of God, but he says, if the project was completed, if the answer was given on your schedule, you wouldn't be ready for it. My timing is perfect. Any earlier and it would be disastrous. In the meantime, you'll be strengthened or increased by talking the situation over with me, by waiting on me, by spending time with me. So we might say, I want this kind of ministry or I want to marry this kind of girl or I want this family and great, says the Lord, but I've got a lot of work to do to make you the kind of person who can handle that responsibility. That's what it comes down to. I've got a lot of work to do in you to make you the person who can handle that responsibility. It's not going to happen quickly. Little by little, I'll drive out the obstacles. In the meantime, stay close to me. Now, I'm not saying we use it as an excuse for sin. The battles that they're facing are not sin, but the things that we struggle with, God may not take the temptation away. So, God doesn't take the temptation away sometimes, but he allows us to keep struggling against that always giving us the opportunity for victory as we go through. Verse 31, And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river. And that's the very large area, that's right over to the Euphrates River. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. It will be bad for you. So this land is going to go from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea up to the Euphrates. That's covering Iraq and Jordan. That's all the promised land of Israel. That's the land that Israel will occupy. They did occupy that. They did have control over that in the time of Solomon right from the sea to the river, Euphrates, but they lost it when they sinned and when the nation divided. Verse 32 says, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. Again, this seems to be a repetitive thing, doesn't it? God keeps saying this over and over, so when God says something, it means it's important. I'm going to bring you into this land but there's going to be dangerous stuff there. There's going to be bad stuff there. Don't have anything to do with that bad stuff. Just keep your eyes on me. So what are some of the pitfalls that we can come across in our land, our culture? Well, we've got idols and temptations. We've got pleasure. Pleasure's not wrong in and of itself, but people chase pleasure. That's our culture. Money, success, fame. And then you've got the other things which are, Obviously wrong, like lust and violence and murder, including abortion. Addiction to all kinds of things. you got gambling and pornography and alcohol. you got addiction to acceptance on your devices. Facebook and all that kind of thing. Again, why does God keep repeating this point? Why does God keep saying, don't have anything to do with the nasty things in this culture? Because sin destroys. It robs us. Eventually the people would lose their inheritance and become slaves in a far-off land in Babylon. I can't remember the verses, but I was reading it recently as I was reading through the Bible. If it's idols you want, then it's idols you will get. I'm going to send you to the idol world to Babylon. And that's my paraphrase of the verse. So, if it's idols you want, then it's idols you will get. I'm going to send you to idol world to Babylon, where you can have idols to your heart's content. If you want idols, fine. Go to the, the nation where it has idols. Jeremiah chapter fifty, verse thirty-eight, second half says, For it is the land of carved images, and they are insane with their idols. So that's how God described Babylon. Insane with their idols, had idols everywhere. And the people of Israel just had this desire to worship idols. So God said, Fine, you can leave your land where I want you to worship me, and go to this place. The far off land. Now I'd like you to just turn to Isaiah 63, verses 7 to 10. Just want to read a couple of verses from Isaiah, because this just describes a bit of the history of the nation of Israel. God's heart toward them, and their rebellion against Him, and the consequences of that. While you're looking it up, I'm just going to read Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5. It says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's God's invitation. That's God's invitation to us today as well. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. If we're not walking in the light, then where are we walking? In the darkness. Okay. What does John say? Men love darkness rather than light. So, Isaiah 63, verse 7. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us, and the great goodness towards the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his lovingkindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their saviour. In all their affliction he was afflicted. He suffered with them. And the angel of his presence, we know who that is, Jesus, saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Verse 10, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. So, what does Ephesians 4.31 say? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What happens to us if we continue to fight against the Lord, if we continue to rebel? Well, God will discipline us. It's like God turns himself around and becomes our enemy. He's not our enemy. They're still his people. But instead of helping them, he's going to discipline them. If you just turn a few chapters back in Isaiah chapter 48. Again, we're getting application from this for today, for us today. Isaiah 48 verse 17. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, to benefit, who leads you by the way you should go. So just emphasize that phrase, who teaches you to profit. It's for our good. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea your descendants also would have been like the sand and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand his name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me so when we sin when we rebel against god we reject his ways which are for our profit which are for our good and we end up destroying ourselves that peace he says your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. So God wants our lives to be like that, full of righteousness, full of peace, if we are willing to walk with him. So now we move on to chapter 24. Now there's some similarities here to the transfiguration in Matthew 17. There's a mountain. There's Moses. And there's Jesus. And there's a cloud. So we'll get into it. Verse 1, Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. So Aaron is Moses' older brother, his spokesman. Nadab and Abihu are Aaron's sons. We're going to hear more about them later. So along with his brother and his nephews, Moses was to bring the seventy leaders he had appointed in response to Jethro's, it's his father-in-law's suggestion back in Chapter 18, where he said, Are oh, you doing too much on your own? Get some help. So you got 70 people to help him govern the land of Israel. Now it says in verse 1, And worship from afar. So God isn't inviting him to come close, He's inviting him to worship from afar. What about us today? Do we worship from afar? No. God says to us, in James 4, eight, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Yet to this group, God says, come and worship afar off, from a long distance. God wanted them to worship, but they couldn't come close. Why not? Because the work of Christ on the cross had not happened yet. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can call him Abba or Papa or Father, Daddy. It's awesome because the price has been paid. Now, the application for us, though, is if we don't feel like we should worship God, does that mean we don't worship Him? If I'm not in that zone where I think I should be, oh, I really feel like reading the Bible today, it's fantastic, and it was awesome. Sometimes you wake up and you go, I'm tired, I want to sleep in, I don't want to read the Bible today. But we have to make the choice that even though we feel distant, we still need to worship. So even if we feel like we're a long way from God, God is still calling us to worship. The reality is that we're near to Him, but sometimes emotionally we can feel like we're far away. So why am I saying this? Worship is not about how we feel. It's all about who God is. And He is worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for He has created all things, and for His pleasure they are and were created, whether I feel this or not. That's Revelation 4. Verse 2, And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all their judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. Now they've said that before, and they're going to say it again. And it's another example of trying on your own strength because they're going to fail miserably. They were determined to do right. But the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. So it's better for them. It would have been better in hindsight, because we look back, we got the gift of hindsight, right? It would have been better for them to say, we want to do your will, Lord. Now help us, for without you, we can do nothing. Instead of just saying, yeah, we can do this. I'm going to do this. And think about Peter. This is a good example of Peter, what an application of this verse. Peter says, I'll die with you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. You know, and Peter went on and, and on and saying, no, no, you know, I'll never leave you. And you know, all the others might forsake you, but I won't leave you. And then what happened? He denied Christ three times. And he wept bitterly. And sometimes we need to come to that place of defeat to understand that it isn't about us, it's about God. That was my testimony as well. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning. Someone said, I suggest Moses rose up early in the morning because after hearing the claims of the people, yet knowing well their frailty, he didn't sleep very well the night before. <laughs> going, oh, these people, I don't think they're going to be able to keep this promise. All right, Verse 4, And built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel, who offered burnt offerings, and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, Again, all that the Lord has said we will do, and be obedient. So why is it the altar? Well, the altar is a picture ultimately of the cross. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or remission of sins. So already we're seeing that here. That's Hebrews 9.22. Verse 8. So Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Does that remind you of something that someone said in the New Testament? Jesus took the cup and said, This is the blood. The sprinkling of the blood on the altar speaks of salvation. The sprinkling of the blood on the people speaks of sanctification. So on the altar is justification, the forgiveness of sins. On the sprinkling of the blood on the people speaks of sanctification, of being set apart, of being changed. So in essence, or kind of figuratively, it's being sprinkled on us. It's changing us. We're being cleansed currently on an ongoing basis. That's our sanctification. He's setting us apart. He's changing us. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. Now, is this one of those contradictions in the Bible? They saw the God of Israel, because Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. Is this a contradiction here? Is there an error? No. John also says that no man has seen God at any time. That's John one eighteen. Yet we read here that Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu and the 70 elders all saw God. Well, I believe this is Jesus, and there's always theophanies, Abraham, where people actually saw God in a physical form, and I believe this is another one of those theophanies, but I'll try and prove it to you. Isaiah 6, one says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So who was the Lord that Isaiah saw? Well, you go over to John's Gospel. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, and this is where we're getting to, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory, and spoke of him. Now who's him? It's Jesus. In the context of him there is Jesus. So Isaiah, it says in John chapter 12, verse 35 and on, that it's Jesus he saw. So I believe that they were saying a pre-incarnate Jesus, a theophany of Jesus. So we can't see God the Father, but we can see God the Son. That was John 12, verse 35 on, and Isaiah 6, 1. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So under Jesus' feet was his blue transparent pavement. It kind of makes you think about the throne room in heaven. Verse 11. But on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. So usually the Bible says that no man has seen God and lived. Well, God is showing great mercy here. He's somehow protecting these people from his glory, from his perfection, from his goodness. And he's allowing them to live. And it's interesting, the word nobles does not mean noble by birth, but literally rooted ones. Who is... Noble in God's economy, it's those who are rooted and grounded in Christ. Rooted and grounded in their faith. Rooted and grounded in love. So that's Ephesians 3.17. Verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there. That's interesting. If you're going to come up to the mountain, wouldn't you be there? Well, have you ever gone to church, or Bible study, and you're not there? The word is being taught, worship is being offered, and you're there, but you're not there. God says, Come and be there, not just physically, but wholly, your mind and your spirit engaged as well. Verse 12 And I will give you tablets of stone, and the law and commandments which I've written, that you may teach them. Why did God give these to Moses? What does it say there? That you may that you may teach them. God will only give us things if we're willing to give it to other people, When to share what he's given us. This is not about how much I can collect and keep for myself. This is about how much I can give to other people. So everything we have, be it physical things or spiritual things, is for other people. It's for us to be a blessing to other people. For example, it was because that God knew Abraham would command his children and his household after him in the way of the Lord, that he told Abraham about the impending destruction of Sodom. That's Genesis 18, 17-19. So who does God give his word to? Those who he knows will teach or share it with others. So share the word with your family, with your friends, with anyone you can, and God will give you greater understanding, greater knowledge. Because you'll use it. You'll be faithful to use what he's given you. Verse 13, So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. So who's Joshua? Oh, well, he's Joshua, son of Nun. His name wasn't Joshua before. It was changed. We went through that before. But Joshua is the same word as Jesus. It's the Hebrew form of Jesus, which means God is salvation. So Moses took Jesus, if you would. Here's a picture. Here's the law, Moses. And here's grace, Jesus going together now the law took the people to the edge of the promised land but jesus or joshua took them in to the promised land so the law can't take us in it can show us what is wrong with us it can show us what we should be like but it can't make us like that and it can't save us from who we are The law is useless to us because we can't keep it. So that's why Moses never got to go into the promised land. That's how the picture develops, the type develops. Verse 14, And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Now, later on we're going to read about the golden calf debacle. You know, the big party they had down the bottom of the hill there. I hadn't realized this before, but her is not mentioned. Her, it's Aaron and her, H-U-R. Her is not mentioned in this sin. So Aaron and her were the ones who stood by Moses and held his arms up. Remember that? They were his off And Moses is saying, well, if you've got any problems, see these two people. While I'm gone, these two people are in charge. Her, H-U-R didn't make the mistake that Aaron made his name is not mentioned he has nothing to do with his sin so first corinthians ten thirteen says that god will not tempt us above that which we are able but provide a way of escape so here we see Aaron succumbed to the pressure of the people and her h-u-r didn't Then moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So there's a lot of symbolism here. The cloud, Jesus, you know, Thessalonians coming to meet us in the cloud. The transfiguration, the glory of the Lord resting on Jesus there, and Jesus being transfigured. So there's numbers here. Numbers are always interesting. The cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So six days, six is the number of man, seven is a number of perfection, completion. So verse 17, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So the mountain was glowing red like a huge forest fire. That's pretty easy to picture all the fires in California you've probably seen pictures of. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Remember that Joshua was with him too. Or close by. And we'll find out in chapter 25 what God told him. We might leave it there. Hebrews says that our Lord is a consuming fire. And it says, Beware lest you fall into his hands. Father, I thank you for what we've learnt today. Lord, there's a whole heap that we've learnt today. I just pray that you help us to remember it. You help us to put into practice. And we can read over this chapter again when we go home. And just try and remember the points that we've talked about. And remember the application to the new life, to the, the life that we live in the Spirit. With the Holy Spirit inside of us in the new covenant. And I pray that you just bring to remembrance everything that we've learnt so we don't forget and we don't try and do things on our own strength, and we don't get drawn into the customs and the culture of this world. But Lord, as you kept saying through this chapter, stay away, stay away, stay away. Do not have any part of it. Do not tolerate anything, and not make any commitment or covenants with these people. Lord, have our homes to be pure. Have our families to be pure. Have our church to be pure. And help our friendships to be pure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.